Hi, I'm Thanasi Kambanis. This is Order from Ashes, Century International's podcast, and this is the third episode of our Broken Bonds uh, season, which looks at the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood and its existential crisis from 2013 to 2022. On the first episode, we heard Abdurrahman Ayash's personal journey from a childhood in the Brotherhood uh, uh, to a disaffection and eventually his adulthood as a, as a researcher looking into the group. Uh, and on the second episode, we heard from the three co-authors of Broken Bonds, uh, Noha Azat, Amir Lafifi and Abdurrahman Ayash, uh, talking about the sort of wider implications of why we should care about the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood and where it's ended up. Uh, and we ended by talking about the multiple crises that have affected the organization um, and are right now sort of leaving it in the political and social wilderness. So today, uh, on this episode of, of uh, the Broken Bond season of Order from Ashes, I'm talking uh, to Noha Azat about the first of the three crises that the researchers have documented. And this is the identity uh, crisis in the Muslim Brotherhood. So uh, first of all, Noha, let me let me uh, say uh, thank you uh, and welcome uh, to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. It's my pleasure. So tell us what exactly... Uh, what exactly you mean uh, when you talk about an identity crisis in the Muslim Brotherhood? Uh, well, um, in this chapter, um, I really try to show that uh, the Muslim Brotherhood uh, had a political crisis in framing itself as a political party. Like uh, many times, uh, many analysts in the Middle East and uh, in uh, Europe and in, in the, in the United States, when they conceive of the Brotherhood, they usually unconsciously assume it. it's... It, it's either a civic society or organization, or it's just a classical political party as we understand it. But uh, as it seems, this was not as clear for the members of the Brotherhood themselves as, as we assume. And it's actually uh, rather problematic. And this is what we try to show in the fifth chapter by dissecting the organization itself and its discourse and how it maintained the uh, loyalty of uh, its members and uh, the narratives it, it employed and how contradictory um, they eventually came to be and how the fact that it represented different interest groups in Egypt society hindered its ability to create a clear-cut political ide ide ideology. Uh, so let me start by saying that the Muslim Brotherhood is a very broad coalition of diverse social and economic forces in Egypt and that it's not a very thin political party as we uh, understand it in, in, in a classical modern state. So it's it's much broader than representing one constituency, and uh, usually, like the members of the of the Brotherhood throughout the 1970s onwards, are basically two generations who largely shaped what we know as the Islamic resurgence in Egypt or Asahul um, Islamiyah. This is basically an uh, a movement that had a very clear idea of what type of religiosity they wanted to ingrain in Egyptians who uh, they believe had strayed away from the uh, Islamic path. And they were they were not violent, but they proposed a more conservative uh, version of religiosity compared to the one propagated by the state before uh, their, uh, their emergence in the 1970s. Of course, the Brotherhood has a longer history. It started in the 1940s, again with the same mission to 
to spread religiosity in what they perceive to be uh, a secular and westernized society that emerged due to colonialism and, 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 and Western influence. And as much as this is, of course, obviously a religious mission, there was always a nationalistic aspect of it. Like many times we find that Islam itself is instrumentalized as a broad nationalist band. This represents for the brotherhood the uh, the local nationalist culture, uh, for instance. So uh, one may actually say that at several instances, the brotherhood could be designated um, a nationalist group or a nativist group. Uh, so... Uh, this could lead us to designate the Brotherhood when it entered the political scene more as a proto-political party. Like in it, 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 it contained the seeds of several political parties and the political interests of the different segments inside the Brotherhood were many times in contradiction. So as we wrote, for example, in this chapter, there were the two main currents which were assumed to be ideologically in opposition to uh, one another, like... Uh, the, the reformists and the conservatives were basically a manifestation of a socio-economic crack in the brotherhood between those public activists who were mostly members of the middle class and they wanted a more um, social democratic outlook for uh, the brotherhood's uh, political project and on the other hand those who were more associated with uh, capital inside the brotherhood and the, and the businessmen those who had more money to be able to control the brotherhood and yet of course as businessmen they had more neoliberal inclinations they were more wary of state intervention so this would strike any western observer because those two interest groups in most western states as we know them today usually fall into the category of two very different parties like center of left and center of right but those were members of one political movement and or and organization in Egypt. So this makes the Brotherhood more of a proto-party. It's 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 a huge umbrella in a state that hasn't yet completely transformed into a modern state as we as we as we know it. So when you describe these different uh, uh, identities and this and and you know you're you're talking about sort of. Uh, uh, differing currents that pre this this predates the 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 sort of turning point of 2013. So it's almost uh, amazing to imagine that these that that in the previous 80 years of the Brotherhood that these contradictory and competing types of constituencies managed to form a coherent uh, organization in the first place. Um, so presumably, there's always been tensions between the, the, these different types of. Uh, uh, you know these di basically different sub identities or overlapping uh, identities within within the brotherhood. So how how do these um, you know somewhat incompatible uh, identities play out after two two thousand and thirteen when the brotherhood moves into this uh, state of of a sort of extreme repression uh, uh, and and you know being pushed underground into prison exile and so on. Uh, well, I think I think the 2011 uh, uprising was sort of a test. It, it 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 put to test the the fact that the Brotherhood was not a coherent political party, and we saw that once the um, the uprising began, cracks started to appear, and once the political scene was open for parties to be founded, several um, several segments of youth and the Brotherhood started to break away and form their own political parties. So it was obvious from the beginning that uprising is unleashing this umbrella. Like the umbrella was basically maintained by the authoritarianism of uh, the regime. The fact that no political organizations were allowed uh, space in Egypt before 2011 
made many people like there were so many contradictions and disagreements inside the brotherhood but for some reason it was more beneficial for them to continue to be under the umbrella because there was no other alternative like in Egypt if you were if, if you were a member of an interest group before 2011 you had no other option either to join the brotherhood and enjoy the immense benefits that come with uh, MB membership or to join the National Democratic Party, which was the ruling party, which also brought about a very different set of uh, of benefits. And also the National Democratic Party itself exhibited the same trait that it, it was constituted of different and contradictory um, interest groups. And this is why probably the Mubarak regime unraveled rather quickly. But then the military regime after 2013 managed to sort of uh, resurrect this uh, alliance which constituted the uh, Mubarak regime, although with the army at the center, not the National Democratic Party. So after 2013, after the political failure, there was also another shock in the brotherhood. So it's not just the opening of the political scene in 2011 that suddenly presented so many opportunities for, the, for, for diverse interest groups to pursue their own visions and to try to craft more uh, clear-cut ide uh, ideologies which led to the emergence of uh, Atayr al-Masri, the uh, Egyptian uh, current party, and uh, the breakaway of Abdelman Amabur Fatouh, who was uh, one of the famous uh, reformist members of the organization, who nominated himself in 2012 and then formed uh, a, a political party afterwards. There was also a political party that broke away from the Brotherhood in the 1990s at this contested elections again in 2011. So we had the emergence of distinct Islamic parties, each of them with its own orientation. One was more of a centrist party, one was more center of left, one was more center of right, alongside the political party of the organization itself, which of course benefited from the organizational power of the Brotherhood. But even this one, although it managed to contain the vast majority of MB members, it's, it's lack of a clear-cut political ide ideology, the weakness of the political project it proposes, and its inability to stand up to um, the new coalition that was forming on the other side um, uh, under the supervision of uh, the new regime. This led many to doubt the, the, the efficacy of the organization as they had known it. The organization was never really put to the political test. It only managed to win elections. But once it was in power, things, were, things didn't go according to plan. Uh, this made many people doubt. The, uh, the coherence of the organization. Many people continue to be members, especially the like the hardcore members from the middle and the upper classes who have formed the leadership and the and the core of the organization. But even those have criticized the leadership openly much more than ever, especially under uh, scrutiny from the regime. And not just the regime, but in 2013 and 14 and 15, it was it was a public phenomenon. Many people started criticizing the Brotherhood, like. Uh, you mean people from, from within, people who were Brotherhood members or supporters, uh, uh, publicly criticized it after its after its brief turn in power. Yes, and 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 many of those actually, some of them were keen to remain members. They were, they belonged to the organization. They really thought it would have, it would have been a huge loss to just leave the organization and start from scratch. And many of them, until this very moment, continue to be members, and they hope that it will change. But over the years. Many of them keep leaving the organization gradually, either to at this at this very moment there isn't really politics in Egypt, but they usually leave the Muslim Brotherhood to do human rights activism or to just dedicate themselves to either academia or journalism 
some of them have actually completely withdrawn from the uh, from the public sphere. Um, this is just how it how it played out, how the umbrella unraveled. Yeah, I mean, from 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 reading your 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 study of the ident, like you know, the the identity question is like, what does it mean? to be a Muslim brother and what does the Muslim brotherhood like stand for? What is its identity as an organization? What is, what is the core animating idea? Um, and it seems like what you reveal is that it's a little bit, it's, it's like a little bit hollow and tautological, right? So, you know, part of its strength and enduring appeal has been that like the state it opposes, it has a very uh, opaque and almost empty definition. Like, what does it mean to be a Muslim brother? It means to be a Muslim brother. Um, and, uh, you know, wh whenever they, the organization has tried to get specific as it did, like, like say when it, uh, you know, created electoral platforms, the controversial ones in the, in the two thousands, or as it did, uh, to, to widespread dismay when it actually controlled the, the apparatus of state, uh, briefly, um, it's, uh, it's, it's done poorly, uh, once it, you know, tried to nail itself down to, uh, a, a long list of specifics that you have to do when you actually have power. Uh, and, and uh, you know, like, am, am I reading your work right? That like they're that they're sort of uh, they're trying to be uh, comfortably within what people might think they are without ever actually like uh, uh, you know like getting down to brass tacks and saying yes, here is actually what we mean by Islam is the solution, or here's what we actually mean by, uh, you know, combining a, you know, charity, social, religious, and, and, and politically activist work. Uh, is, is, is that, is that a, a fair characterization of, 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 of what you found? Uh, yes, exactly. Uh, like the, the Brotherhood has usually tried to avoid crystal clear political or, or, or economic solutions. It usually, Talked in very vague terms. Uh, in uh, in very vague terms, many times it just appealed to uh, Islamic religiosity, which is of course overwhelming in 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 in, in Egyptian society. In the in the political project, they they proposed there was there wasn't any like radical change to any of the policies or the or the laws in existence. The fact that they chose to actually amend the 1971 constitution instead of proposing something uh, new in, in, in March 2011 was sort of uh, reminiscent of this desire to keep things as they are. The status quo before 2011 came, came to their aid in, 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 in many ways. And just, the, and just like the, the regime, the narrative was basically meant to keep all those different and contradictory interest groups under one umbrella. The Brotherhood didn't want to alienate one of them against against the other. It didn't want to, for example, appear like uh, it's neglecting workers' rights. When uh, when Morsi visited the, uh, the Hilwan factory when he was a, a, a president, he, for example, praised uh, Nasser and he said, I'm going to continue what Nasser began. And of course, talking about Nasser in front of workers in Egypt is usually trying to appeal to them. But at the same time, when he talked with businessmen, when he talked with uh, uh, Western audiences, he talked about that Egypt will continue to be a, uh, a free market. This, of course, wasn't just catering to the Egyptian business community in general, but also to the Brotherhood's very own key figures who were many, many, many of whom were uh, important businessmen. Uh, so, yes, very much like the National Democratic Party, one could uh, never really find the proper ideological designation at times it, at, 
at times it acted in a conservative way, at times it espoused a social democratic policy, at times it was pro-workers, at times it wasn't, at times it was pro-democracy, at times it seemed that they were espousing an Iranian life model when they proposed a draft program in 2007 and then withdrew it and when it was uh, criticized. So yes, this contradiction played out very much and there was nothing that allowed the Brotherhood to cement its power over those constituencies other than religiosity and that this 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 conception that has been dominant inside the constituencies of the Brotherhood that Islam is in danger and identity is in danger. So it's only the Brotherhood umbrella which allows them to protect this religiosity. And this served a social purpose for those people and their religious purpose, but it didn't really serve any political purpose. It wasn't a proper political designation. And when the time came for finding clear-cut political designation, various interest groups inside the Brotherhood suddenly found out that they want very different things. And this and, and 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 the same happened with the National Democratic Party, by the way. So they also broke up into two blocks. One of them supported a candidate Amr Musa, who was Mubarak's foreign minister at some point, and some of them supported Ahmed Shafiq, who rather preferred direct uh, uh, military rule, given that he was an ex-military officer. So I think this is the highlight, whether we are speaking about the constituencies of the Brotherhood or uh, the regime, that suddenly people were thirsty for clear-cut political designations when both the regime and the Brotherhood couldn't couldn't provide any. And this was basically the highlight of the Brotherhood's uh, identity crisis. And at this very moment, it doesn't seem that the identity, the, the identity crisis has been resolved. Like we've seen revisions, like the Brotherhood leadership after 2013 started uh, drafting statements that they have made errors, that they apologize for the people for miscalculating many steps, for uh, uh, allowing the uprising to fail in this way. But they never really came up with a bold proposal at, up, up to this uh, very moment. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, you're listening to Order from Ashes, the Broken Bonds uh, series on the existential crisis of Egypt's Muslim Brotherhood from 2013 to 2022. I'm Thanasi Kambanis, and I'm talking to uh, Noha Azat about the identity crisis in the Brotherhood. We'll be right back. Today's world is changing faster than ever. Old rules don't apply, and the new rules haven't been written. At least not yet. I'm Rohan Advani, and I produce the Order from Ashes podcast at the Century Foundation a leading progressive think tank that promotes peace, cooperation, and equality at home and abroad. On Order from Ashes, we try to make sense of a new international system in which America no longer dictates the global order. Join us as we talk to activists and analysts on the front lines of the most pressing issues in international policy. Welcome back. I'm Thanasi Kambanis. You're listening to Order from Ashes, Century International's podcast. I'm talking with Noha Azat about the identity crisis in the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, this is the third in a five-part series about the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood called Broken Bonds that's based on a new book uh, that Noha co-authored with uh, Ahmed Al-Afifi and Abdurrahman Ayash. You can uh, read more and, and actually find uh, the book or how to, how to order it on the Century Foundation's website, tcf.org. Uh, Noha, thank you uh, so much for being on the podcast. Uh, I wanted to pick up where you left off before the break. Um, you were uh, talking about, you know, ver basically the 
enormous amount of, of drift and internal contradiction that the Brotherhood was trying to carry as an organization that really peaked in 2013. Um, and I want to ask you, uh, just to clarify for me, um, you know, so you're, you've described in, in, in a lot of detail that up until Morsi's presidency, up until 2013, the Brotherhood was basically trying to be like all things to all people, right? Like, so, you know, social, socialist, progressive, capitalist, neoliberal, uh, very religious, supposedly open-minded and tolerant, you know, partnering with a wide range of, of groups. Uh, you know, this was un, uh, proved unsustainable. Um, I want to ask uh, just on, on a broad level, is the, is the identity crisis that the Brotherhood faces today uh, in 2023, uh, that basically the same one from 2013, the, 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 the crisis that was underway, uh, during the Morsi presidency or has, has it evolved? Has the nature of that identity crisis evolved, uh, or changed in any significant way in those years, uh, of, of exile repression, um, uh, and, uh, sort of false state attack? Uh, I think the very core identity crisis uh, remains as it is, but uh, different uh, social and cultural identity crises have been added as well, like living in exile in Turkey and in many Western countries has posed questions for uh, members of the organization who, many of them, for example, became less religious. Many of those who left the organization in the later stages uh, left it for uh, basically not political reasons, but social and cultural reasons. They they just decided to give up on um, the Islamic way of life. And uh, this, of course, was key for the Brotherhood to maintain uh, uh, the coherence of the organization. So aside from the political identity crisis, which seems to be intact, uh, the Brotherhood now is also suffering an, an, uh, a crisis that has to do with its very own definition of religiosity. What, what, what kind of religiosity does it preach anymore, given the changes in the Middle East. For example, we are seeing what's happening in Saudi Arabia many times. Uh, Saudi Arabia was very, in, in, in a very sketchy way, it was a, it was a model for Islamists who uh, believed in, uh, in, in, in having, uh, in, in, in the state imposing ethical controls. And uh, many times this was a vague uh, point uh, in, in, in the project of the Brotherhood. Would they or would they not uh, force uh, women to uh, uh, cover their hair? Would, would they or would they not have um, uh, sort of an, uh, a morality police? Also, what's happening in, in, in Iran? Iran was supposedly a model for much more uh, revolutionary, uh, revolutionary Islamists who were more distant from uh, Salafism. And the historic relations between those who uh, staged the Iranian revolution and several Islamist thinkers in Egypt is very well known. And at this very moment, we're seeing the ideological narrative of the Iranian uh, regime. It's, it's, it's crumbling. There's a new generation that is rebelling against uh, morality police in Turkey as well, which is a model the Brotherhood looked up to, especially the more uh, reformist segments we are seeing. Basically, the, the, the AK party in Turkey is just shedding its alliance with an Islamic movement, which is the Gulen movement, and now having an alliance with secular nationalists and suppressing the Kurds. So there, there, there are so many changes as, 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 as well in the region that uh, uh, are forcing the Brotherhood to not just reckon with the 2013 uh, political identity crisis, but actually to ask questions about the one thing that seemed to be clear enough for the leadership, which is how does religiosity relate to politics? What, what, what kind of 
a role does the does the brotherhood as an organization have when it has to uh, determining the religiosity of the people or, or what kind of religiosity does it does it reach and how does this relate to politics if 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 it should relate at at all like at some point when people started uh, uh, living in exile in turkey they were more influenced by the slightly more secular um, experience of the party in Turkey, and they said it's it's fine for people to have their own secular lifestyle. We we're not going to impose anything on anyone. This this was a change, but now, like for 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 instance, when when at some point after 2011, they were more open to uh, democracy. Now you find some supporters of the Brotherhood, online activists and writers, saying that they support Erdogan because who cares about democracy? So. Things are rather evolving in ways that have slightly changed since 2013, especially given what's going on in Turkey, Iran, and Saudi Arabia. I'm not sure if the Brotherhood is still upholding democracy as a principle seriously. Uh, it seems it's 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 at this very moment going to benefit definitely from a democratic opening in Egypt if it's going to be a full uh, democratic opening. But the like, like the far right wave that has overtaken the region and actually uh, the world at uh, at large remains inspiring to some of its members and you can see this from their uh, commentaries online on what Erdogan does or or on what's happening in uh, in Iran so uh, i think the brotherhood up till 2013 had its firm roots in Egypt but given how uprooted it has become Things have become more uh, the, the 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 changes of its identity crisis have become more volatile, and it's starting to get influenced by the regional forces. So I think it remains to be seen. It, it's it strikes me uh, as as one of the sort of powerful insights of this of this research of yours that uh, in 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 some ways uh, what we learn is that the brotherhood's dedication to itself as an organization uh has proved much more consequential than than how it articulates its identity or ideology so in other words throughout all this whole long period where the brotherhood has hosted this sort of incoherent uh uh panoply of competing ideologies, right? I mean, if you think if you think to the time of 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 Nasser, you know, to now in seventy years, this was an organization that at times was pro-state um, and at the same time hosted some of the sort of most dynamic thinkers of of like anti-state jihad. Uh, it had you know members who went on to pioneer takfiri violent extremism and members who went on to pioneer the sort of most milk toastish uh status quo uh accommodationist approach to to getting along with with authoritarianism um it's had uh people who were you know democracy curious or democracy tolerant um and people who were very much of a parcel with uh state authoritarianism uh and just had a sort of different opinion about who should be in control of the levers of power. Um, and the one constant through all these periods, including, you know, periods when the organization was within, an, you know, in, in the sixties, serious people thought that maybe the brotherhood would disappear uh, after Nasser's extended crackdown. Um, and I, you know, less, you don't hear this as much 
during this period of crackdown, but you know there has there at least has been the contention by uh, uh, the the CC regime um, and others who who, who choose to uh, misinterpret the Brotherhood as as some kind of sort of eradicable fringe uh, fringe group. Uh, there seems to be this contention that that it could that it could be erased. Um, so through all these vagaries and ups and downs, the the constant that that emerges is that um, is that the Brotherhood, whatever it's perceived to stand for or, or whatever identity it's perceived to have, even by its own members, it is resolutely dedicated to preserving the Brotherhood, qua Brotherhood, the Brotherhood as an organization, um, whatever it, it may happen to mean to its members. And that singleness of, 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 of purpose um, is, is something that, that has, that has proved successful, right? So even in this period of time where, you know, you, you, you basically make a persuasive case that the brother doesn't stand for any one thing, you know, if, you know, like beyond, beyond some kind of minimal amount of religiosity, there's nothing that actually makes you a brother or not a brother other than really just fealty to, to, to the brand, to the name. Um, and, and I think that is, that that's a really telling insight because that is by the way, also what other successful, uh, long-term, uh, uh, political movements, uh, tend to rely on. Um, and so we, we sort of miss, miss the boat if we think about it in terms of Islam and Islamism and what kind of religious, uh, political agenda this group has. Um, and we, we get a more accurate picture if we look at it as you have in this study, which is, um, what is it that's created staying power for this organization? And what is it, uh, that has made it, uh, at the same time, so ineffectual or divided or incoherent, uh, uh, when it does have uh, power or influence membership and, and, and authority. Uh, well, yes, uh, the fact that the uh, Brotherhood relies on a very vague religious appeal without any clear-cut political um, orientation is a point of weakness when political opening happens because they amass a huge amount of votes and then their, their, um, their lack of uh, ability to create an effective uh, political project soon gets uh, uh, clear to many of its uh, constituents, but at the very same time when when the morale is really low, when the regime has failed on many uh, fronts, this vague and this fluid uh, religious appeal allows the Brotherhood to easily recruit members again, uh, reorder its, um, its forces again on the ground, and it can actually make a comeback very much easily. I think the uh, no one can can disagree that the appeal of the Nasser regime was overwhelming, and if there is one moment in the Brotherhood history where 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 it would it 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 could have been really history, and it 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 could have never come back is is at this very moment when the whole society was really firmly anchored in the Nasser's project. But then, just a few years after uh, the military defeat in 1967, and the uh, legitimacy problem this that regime suffered in the mid-1970s, we found the Brotherhood emerging after 1976, able to organize its, uh, itself anew from, from scratch by just using the religiosity appeal. So it's, we continue to doubt that the Brotherhood will change because the very thing that is its weakest point as a political party is its strongest point as a social or organization. So the one question would be, 
how will they maintain this strong point while 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 addressing their lack of a political ideology and how will this play out and this is the one thing that many members actually continue to talk about that they believe the brotherhood sh should be not not unraveled or dismantled in, in 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 a negative sense but actually there has to be a division of labor like the modern organization needs to see, to stay away from politics and allow a political party to emerge that is genuinely at a distance from the brotherhood and able to exercise uh, political power I've, up to this very moment we haven't seen the brotherhood like adopting this or 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 declaring its its um its desire to stay away from a political office so at this very moment it seems the brotherhood is largely where it was added to the fact that it, that, that it is of course largely weakened inside egypt but also added to the fact that it can easily reorganize and regroup and face the egyptian society again with its religious banner and be able to uh, make a make a comeback if there is a political opening whether it has learned from the post-2013 lessons or not isn't, isn't, isn't really clear as far as we are concerned in 2023. Thank you, Noha. Uh, I'm Thanasi Kambanis. You're listening to Order from Ashes, Central International's podcast. I've been talking with uh, Noha Azat about the identity crisis uh, facing the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, and this was the third episode in a five-part series about the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood, Broken Bonds, the Existential Crisis of Egypt's Muslim Brotherhood 2013 to 2022. You can find the other episodes uh, in this series and uh, the book uh, that these three researchers uh, have put together at the Century Foundation's website, tcf.org. Uh, Noha, thank you so much for uh, helping us better understand uh, the crisis at the core of the identity of the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, thank you, Thanasis. It was uh, my pleasure talking to you. On the next episode of the Broken Bonds series, we'll be talking to Abdurrahman Ayash about the legitimacy crisis that grows out of this core identity crisis that Noha just explained to us. Until next time, I'm Thanasi Kambanis. Thanks for listening. The Order from Ashes podcast has been brought to you by Century International. Our work builds on more than 100 years of commitment to international peace, security, and governance at the Century Foundation. We are independent, critical, and progressive. For more information about Century International's work, please visit tcf.org or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We depend on audience feedback to reach new listeners. If you like what you hear, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts.